I'm Kate Daniels. Winston Churchill said, those who fail to learn from history are condemned to repeat it. And now as we meet Chris Edmonds, the author of No Surrender, we'll hear some of the history, some of what it means to look back on the events that took place over seven decades ago. We can't help but be moved, horrified at times, and I trust commit to act with peace and justice. Always, let's remember to thank a veteran for the sacrifices that they made. And now, let's meet Chris Edmonds, hear some history, then make our commitment to a peaceful world. Chris Edmonds, good morning. Thank you so greatly for taking time to be with us this morning. Thank you, Kate. It's an honor and a joy to be uh, with you. Well, I am totally grateful because you have dedicated so much of, wow, over a decade, I think, doing the research for this incredible book, No Surrender, A Father, A Son, and an Extraordinary Act of Heroism that Continues to Live On Today. That just captures so much in that title, that living on today, that's so much of what we want to have conveyed, I think, in your sharing this story through the book, No Surrender, and also with us, Chris. So so many thanks for all the hours and the blood, sweat, and tears, essentially, that you put into this retelling the story of your father in World War II. Well, thank you, Kate. You know, it really didn't feel like 10 years, but now that I look back, it, it has been a decade. It's It's been quite the journey many hours on the road and in the air visiting with veterans who were with dad also doing research online and and actually going to the national archives and various other places the army college in pennsylvania it's just been um, an incredible journey and all doing that pretty much part-time you know while i worked so but what fascinating truths i've discovered uh unexpected unbelievable, just more than heartwarming. It's a story that lifts us to our better angels and helps us understand uh, who we need to be as everyday people. And so I'm excited to share the story. I'm excited that the book is available and just very excited. It is all very exciting that the book is available, this story that is such an inspiration for every single one of us. And, you know, just to remember at this time of year, we're always thinking of gift giving. I'm not sure that there's anything much greater than a book and this book, because there's this incredible story is sure to really touch all of our hearts. And I trust inspire us to be better and better people all the time. Oh, absolutely. And and it's I kid with people say, even though I helped write it, it's a great read. It it really moves along well, and it's compelling. It's a page-turner. That's the kind of book that I like to read, and I think the the reader will will thoroughly enjoy it. The greater compelling part is I hope and pray it sinks into their their life and their heart and and comes out in their lives to how they treat other people. And so I'm, I'm very, I guess, very blessed to have discovered the story, to have met the men and women, the families who are part of this dynamic story. And it's not just that story. It's also the story of other POWs, other men who served during World War II, uh, noble men, valiant men. And really, they were boys, to be honest with you. They were 18, 19 years old, but they were brave. And Dad noted that in his diary, and he was accurate when he said they were brave. 
And here we are essentially at the 75th anniversary of one of the big battles of the war, nearing the end of that devastating time in the whole world's history, nearing the completion of World War II, 75 years. And yet, you know, here, of course, a commemorative time, but for you, Having then taken the time to write the story, it's very interesting to find out what it was that really got your interest going in this direction. So maybe if you'd share a bit of that story, Chris. Well, two things, I think. It was the the fact that Dad never talked about it as I was growing up. He never mentioned his time in World War II very much. And when he did, and as I got older, I, I would specifically ask him, Dad, tell me what happened. He'd say, I, I don't want to talk about it. And then I'd press him, I'd rather not talk about it, son. And so I knew it was going into territory that, that he had locked away deep within himself. I knew it must have been a very bad experience, but I didn't know that it was a horrible experience, which I later discovered. And then, you know, I would say, Dad, just give me something. He said, well, son, we were humiliated. So that's all he would say. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing is he kept a journal, actually kept two journals. One was more of a narrative journal of some of his experiences while he was in battle and while he was in in, in the POW camps. Some of it was very straightforward and you, you knew what he was talking about. Other parts of it was very cryptic, almost secretive. Like it was just a clue, maybe a memory note for him, memory marker for him to understand what should happen there. But that's all it was. And so I began rereading his diary in about 2009 as a result of my daughter being in a college class where she was given a history assignment with two other fellow students. And they were given the assignment to do a history project on a family member. They chose dad. And then so they borrowed his journals. Now his journals he kept hidden far away in one of his dresser drawers. He never brought them out, never showed them to anybody. But here's some of the things he wrote that really grabbed my heart. A lot of things I'm not going to write because they aren't exactly nice to talk about. So right up front, at almost the beginning of his writings, he says, I'm not going to tell you everything. (laughs) I'm not going to tell you a lot because it's too bad to tell. So that gave me a real quick clue that something happened over there that I needed to find out about. The other thing he'd write, and his faith in God was all through the diary. Um, I know God was with us and he answered our prayers beautiful, powerful statement. And then he wrote this, and this is, I guess, the linchpin that really grabbed my heart. He said, I learned men even better than before. Some were good, some were bad, some were better, some were worse. And I just said, you know, i got to find out what happened. And that sparked the journey. And I began doing research, uh, trying to find out records, Army records, and, and his, his progression of when he entered. I didn't even know when he entered in the service before I started this, and so I went online one night, and I uh, was searching for Army records or any kind of records about the Battle of the Bulge. He was a master sergeant in World War II. He was in the 106th Infantry, so I was searching for those kinds of things related to the 422nd Regiment. And the first link, I just typed in Master Sergeant Roddy Edmonds. The first link that came up was amazing. Dad's name was highlighted in an article entitled Richard Nixon's Search for a New York Home. It was a 2008 article 
written about 1980. It looked back to 1980 and was talking about the president trying to move to New York. And the New Yorkers didn't want him. Uh, people in New York didn't want him as their neighbor. And so he couldn't find a place to live until one of one of New York's uh, finest attorneys, Lester Tanner, uh, felt sorry for the president. And he said, the man deserves a place to live. And he said, I'm a staunch Democrat. I don't agree with his policies or or his administration, but he deserves a place to live. And he said, I've always learned, I learned a long time ago in World War II that I should always do what's right, regardless of the risk, regardless of the circumstances. And in that article, Lester made this statement. He said, had it not been for the bravery of my Master Sergeant Roddy Edmonds, I would not have met the president. I was stunned when I read that. And I said, i got to find Lester Tanner. i got to find out what happened, because obviously that had done something to save Mr. Tanner. And so that's what happened. I began that journey, and I found Lester in New York City, and he told me the story in the Harvard Club for the first time ever. And from that, a decade ago, all of this has evolved. And because, as you said, Chris, it's been part-time, but it certainly gave you that opportunity to do a lot of thorough research so that we get history here, important history that important to remember, and yet we get this, as you said, compelling. I'm underscoring. It's a compelling story. It just really makes it jump off the page. No, absolutely. You know, Dad lived a lifetime before I was ever born. Um, When I was born, he was 39. He met my mom after World War II and after the Korean War. He actually served in the Korean War. Which maybe that'll be book two. I, I don't know anything about that either, so I'm going to dive into that here in in a few months. But um, the story is so compelling, and it's not a story that happened so long ago. I mean, 75 years is a long time, but it's a story for today. Because what those men and women did in World War II to save us from from the evil of the Nazis— I cannot imagine what our world would be like today. Now, we've got our, obviously, we've got our problems and our issues, but we don't have the kinds of problems we would have had the other side won. And their service to our country, to our world, affects us every day and touches us every day. So I'm glad to bring the story alive. And it became a passion, just to be honest with you. You know, it went from trying to discover what happened to my dad to discovering what happened to men and women across this country who were serving with dad, what happened in the Battle of the Bulge, which happened to be the bloodiest and largest battle in World War II. There were over 89,000 Allied soldiers killed, captured, or wounded in that battle. It was brutal. And then to discover how that makes a difference in our world today. So I'm truly blessed and excited to share this story. I think it's a story for the ages, just to be honest with you. I think it's a story for a time such as ours now with the division and the incivility, the unkindness that marked in our everyday life, I think people are are hungering for real heroes, ordinary people who just do what's right for others. And this story is certainly that story. Certainly it is. And for you to want to start unraveling what had gone on and and meeting all these people who are really, I think, as you say, they are now friends. They're like family and they're being able to reconnect and, and being honored for the kinds of things that they endured so that 
as you said, we have at least what we have today. It could have been so much worse. Yes, absolutely. And the the families are so dear and precious. You know, I started meeting them and showing up, you know, just cold calling them. And through God's providence, I, I feel like there were providential breadcrumbs along my path to get me to these folks. I'd either call them on the phone or email them or track them down at their their place of employment, but obviously uh, having that accessibility of being online, Ancestry.com helped tremendously to track people down. And But once I sat in their living rooms or their dens and, you know, I didn't know it would, was an event, but when I'd make the appointment and I'd show up, there would be other family members there and then they would end up serving me and my wife food and We'd stay all day, and and we just became, you know, a dear family, you know, with one another. And But then to see the family members with the tears rolling down their cheeks when their father or grandfather is telling things they've never heard before. I remember being in Paul Stern's living room in Reston, Virginia, and he's just a delightful gentleman. Sadly, he passed on about a year and a half ago, but... He was, as soon as I walked in, I barely got my, I would video each of these times I met and also record them. But before I could even get the camera rolling, he's he's back there. He's back at the battle. He's back in World War II. And he was telling things that he hadn't shared with his family before. And we're all in tears at the end of it. And so that was kind of my common experience. Uh, in visiting with these veterans. There were a few veterans I didn't get to, to actually go see. I was, I was fortunately able to talk to them on the phone, uh, but those uh, gentlemen have passed away as well. And that's the other sad thing about this is our World War II veterans are, are leaving very quickly um, and passing off the scene. And so anything we can do to connect with them and learn their stories is so valuable not only for us, but for them too. They want to tell stories now. You know, in the past, they've kept them to themselves, but I think they're ready to tell them. And so if you have a family, I, I encourage the readers and, and your listeners, if, if they have family members who served in World War II or the Korean War, the Vietnam War, in, any conflict we've been in, spend some time with them and, and encourage them to share their stories because you never know some of the heroics that those men and women who have served, accomplished the choices they made, were vital many times in the lives of others. And we don't know about those, but we need to know. And that certainly was the case with your dad, with Roddy Edmonds, that people, the men that you met, really said he was the reason that they were still alive today. Correct? Yes. Yes, over over 200 Jewish American men are, you know, lived another day, lived to tell their stories, lived to, to go back and fulfill their dreams of having a family and careers because of that's actions in that POW camp. And then ultimately, uh, nearly 1,300 American GIs also survived that ordeal because of that's leadership. And so I've calculated that out, I, and and some of the like I was sitting with Lester Tanner in his Manhattan apartment. Um, it was about a year and a half, two years ago, and he goes, "Chris, have you thought about the number of lives that your father saved?" I said, "Well, twelve hundred and ninety-two. That's 
uh, is actually a little bit less. It's about 1,275 in the camp because some of the men died while they were in the camp, sadly and unfortunately, but uh, because of starvation. But um, he goes, no, no, about no, their generations. I said, no, I don't guess I've really thought about that. He said, well, I have. And he, he said, you know, I have, I have four great-great-grandchildren, and um, none of those would be alive today had Roddy not saved us. And so we began calculating, and we're thinking there's anywhere from 12,000 to 13,000 people alive and well today because of what my father did. That's powerful. That's a legacy. You know, the the Talmud tells us that to save one life is to save the world. And I had a Jewish friend tell me, he said, yeah, but what if you save 200? And then he said, what if you save over 1,200? He said, you save the universe? I mean, you save... (laughs) He said, there's no way to calculate the impact of that. Exactly. And um, I would agree. It's... It's a powerful lesson for us that that we are on this planet, I believe, for a reason, for a purpose, and that's to be good to others and to honor our Creator and be good to others like He is to us. And doesn't that so exemplify for anyone who thinks, oh, what am I, one person, what could one person do? Doesn't that really underscore what one person has the ability to do when they stand up for what is right and have faith, trust. Oh, I absolutely agree. I believe an ordinary life lived well is extraordinary, even heroic. I think that's a remarkable truth that I learned and discovered about what my father did in the Second World War, the realization that any one of us has the untapped potential to do something incredibly courageous for the good of others. And we have that opportunity every day. I mean, not a day passes that the most unassuming person could be a grandmother wheeling her cart to the supermarket or a teacher welcoming her students you know, into the classroom with a smile or, or even a teenage kid hunched over a book at the airport gate and especially a young soldier who's serving you know, in our armed forces, they they all have the potential to change the world simply by standing up for what's right. So I've learned that true heroes are rarely, you know, those larger-than-life characters of comic books or Hollywood blockbusters. Now, we love those. We love to experience those those heroes. But they, real heroes walk among us like Dad did, virtually unnoticed every day. And they make the world a better place quietly, just anonymously, one person, one action at a time. And, and so I challenge myself every day and others to be the hero. And that's, it's not hard. Like, I'll have opportunity today to, uh, to open the door for someone or to, to step aside and let them go go ahead of me, to smile and, and give them a, uh, an encouraging word. You know, I could be ordered. I'm in New York, so just be able to get a slice of pizza and, and give an encouraging word. So it's it's really not hard to be kind to others, but yet it seems like our culture is struggling with that these days. Yes, and that's why sharing this kind of story, seeing what one, really not simple, but one act has the ripple effect to cause others to 
to do that those kinds of things. As you said, your dad was such a model in what he did that here was Lester Tanner decades later still holding that close to his heart and turning that kind gesture toward a president who had was struggling to find a place to live. Oh, absolutely. And Lester told me that, you know, when we were sitting in the Harvard Club, he told me, he said, Chris, he said, I learned that valuable lesson. He said, that day that your father defied the Nazi major, he said, at the point of a gun, with his life on the line, he defied the Nazis and would not turn over any of us men. He said, he said, he said, your father would not have turned over any of his men uh, any more than he could stop breathing. He said, that's just who he was. He said that he was going to do what was right for his God and right for his fellow man, regardless. And that's what he did. And he said, so I learned that lesson that day. And he said, so I've determined to do what's right for others, regardless of the risk or circumstances. And then he had a little grin on his face. He said, you know, for a New York lawyer, sometimes that's hard to do. <laughs> <laughs> I laughed with him, uh, but he's so right. It's it's not easy to always do what's right. It's not easy to to be the upstander when you're the only one standing, you know. So I love being able to share with students and with for students to senior adults. Everyone is inspired and encouraged and thrilled by this story, uh, from the highest levels of government down to students who aren't sure of who they are yet. This story resonates with everyone. It does. And it can be a very fast read, not that we want to rush through it, because there's so much to really savor. There are parts that are so uh, awful, because we see how man's inhumanity to man, how that can ever exist. But it reminds us, I hope, that with that happening, let's not perpetuate that. Let's look at the good things that have still held strong, right? Absolutely. Yeah, the book, it's a journey. It's my journey, obviously. It's my dad's journey, but it's it's a fascinating journey through history. It is a fast read. My brother-in-law, when I got our uh, first copies of the book, I gave it to him to read because he knew my father, knew him well. He read it like in a day and a half, and he couldn't put it down. And he said, fantastic. He said, I'm going to go back and read it again because he said, I read it so fast. It is a fast read, but it's it's an important read. Mm-hmm. Uh, it covers the history of World War II. It covers the history of the Battle of the Ball and some of the behind-the-scenes decisions that were made by both sides, by Hitler and his regime, and then also by the Allied forces. Uh, it covers the um, ASTP, which was the Advanced Specialist Training Program, the Army Specialist Training Program. They took the best and the brightest of the Army recruits and sent them to college campuses across the country and gave them training so that they could become officers. It was kind of a fast-track way to generate officers. And in the middle of that program, because of the losses in Europe due to D-Day and just the, the raging battle that was going on to retake Europe, they canceled that program and put all of those best and brightest men back into the infantry. So Dad received all of these brilliant scholar kind of guys, and they weren't only brilliant, they were brave. And I believe that was what helped turn the tide. In my opinion and my co-author's opinion, Douglas Century, that's what helped turn the tide for the Battle of the Bulge. You had these really brave, really bright 
infantry soldiers out there fighting overwhelming odds. I mean, if you look at the numbers that the Nazis had as they tried to push their way to Antwerp through the Ardennes, there's no reason they shouldn't have made it, except for the bright, intelligent, brave American soldier out there who stopped them in their tracks. So I believe the 106th Infantry, the 422nd Regiment, 28th Division, all those men over there who ultimately were captured, they helped stop the gauntlet and help win the war, even though they didn't know it because they were taken off into Germany and put into prisoner war camps. So all of that, it is compelling. It's something we need to remember. You know, we hear this, but it's so true. We need to remember lest we repeat that again. And sometimes it feels like history repeating itself, which is why we need to read this story, No Surrender, and really take it to heart. The story of what happened, the bravery, the courageousness, and the influence of what one person standing up for what is right can do. Right, Chris? Oh, absolutely. And in this day of extreme hatred and growing anti-Semitism, you know, racial divide and racial hatred on like every turn, this story reminds us that there's incredible power and joy and goodness can come out of unity with diversity. These men were as diverse as any of our people in our culture are today. They were from every nook and cranny of the United States, every faith background, every cultural background, and they all came together in a POW camp and stood as one for what was right, true, and good. And they took their differences and wove those into an unsolvable bond of unity and said, you cannot have our Jewish brothers. You will not have our Jewish over our dead body, because every one of those men were threatened to be shot if they disobeyed the orders. And they disobeyed the orders, and they all came out with the Jewish men. They didn't send them out alone. And they stood together through Dad's leadership, and Dad stood at the front of that horrible situation. And he stood strong, he stood resolute, and those men lived to live another day. And so we can do the same. You know, if you and I were together sitting in the same room and we started comparing notes of our backgrounds, we're going to find we're very, very different. But there's nothing that tells me that I can't be kind to you and love you and embrace you and respect you and honor you and actually esteem you better than myself. When we esteem others better than ourselves, we go to the place where God resides and we are able to give goodness and graciousness to others for no reason at all. It's just because they deserve it, because they are a precious, living human being created in the image of God. And I'm praying that Dad's story will take root. Dad said in the midst of the gun pointed to his head, he said, we are all Jews here. And I'm praying that someday we will say we are all Sergeant Edmonds here, and we're going to do what's right for others. Absolutely. Such an amazing, true story that lives on for the ages. It's the book No Surrender, which, of course, we could get at any of our favorite book sources. Right, Chris? Yes, absolutely. And you can go to nosurrenderbook.com. There's pictures that are not in the book that are on the website. There's a reading guide that's available. There's also a promotional video about that story. 
that's a great website. Again, I want to thank you, Kate, for the privilege of, of being on with you. And maybe someday I can come to where you're at and hang out for a little while. It would be a joy to do that. It would be wonderful and inspiring. Chris Edmonds, it's really been such a true gift to have you join us this morning. Thank you, Kate. This is Mandy Ringenberg with a Sunday morning shout out. This week's shout out goes to Washington's National Park Fund. Washington's National Park Fund is the official philanthropic partner of our cherished Mount Rainier, North Cascades, and Olympic National Parks. Their mission is to raise private support to deepen the public's love for, understanding of, and experiences the state's national parks. Their vision is for all the state parks to be strong and vibrant, youthful and everlasting. The funds raised by Washington's National Park Fund help fund 50 to 75 projects annually in these parks. The organization works closely with the superintendents of each of the three national parks who select the priority projects for the respective parks. The projects fall into four core areas, advancing science and research, improving visitors' experiences, expanding volunteerism and stewardship, and providing for youth and family programs. Washington's National Park Fund has enabled the purchase of critical search and rescue equipment, countless miles of trail maintenance, wildlife studies, meadow restoration teams, the removal of invasive species, shrinking glacier studies, and many other projects. The nonpartisan organization is led by CEO Lori Ward, who works with a team of four dedicated staff members and more than 20 passionate and engaged board members. Don't miss the next free National Parks Day on Veterans Day, November 11th. Get out and enjoy the beautiful Washington State Wilderness that day and every day. Learn more about Washington's National Park Fund on their website, wnpf.org. That's wnpf.org.